A very warm welcome to our service this morning. Thank you for joining us here. Welcome to those of you joining us online. We celebrate communion later in our service and we gather together to adore Christ the Lord. We have a call to worship that's on the screen. If I could invite you to respond by saying the words in yellow, please. God is working. Let us be ready for God's love. Christ is coming. Let us be ready for his peace. The Spirit is with us. Let us be ready for all that God has planned for us today. God knows what's in store for you today. He knows the intentions he has towards you today. Lord, may we be ready to recognise and welcome your working in us, through us, and among us. Amen. Hark the glad sound, the Saviour comes. Let's stand and sing this together. Isaiah 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 1 to 7. 64. You've got the other one. Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. And when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. 
For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down, and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to help to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay, lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure. O oh Lord, do not remember our sins forever. O oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. So can I lead you in prayer? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that in Jesus you don't hide your face from us, but you turn your face towards us in grace. And you come to us not just as our Lord, but as our Saviour. Prepare us then this morning to meet you, to receive you, to welcome you. We look at the kind of people that we are and we're conscious of how we must appear in your eyes. Many of us are wearing garments of sorrow and affliction. Life has been tough for us this week and we've carried heavy burdens. Many of us are dressed in the garments of failure, broken promises, acts of kindness we failed to carry out, acts of sinfulness we have committed. We are clothed in the filthy rags of unrighteousness and we are ashamed. Some of us are dressed in the garments of doubt and uncertainty. We know we're not perfect. We have so many questions. But we want to appear okay. So we hide our doubts under our coats of respectability, our jackets of strength our public image of certainty. But you know that underneath we're shabby and grey. Lord, you see behind all outward appearances and you see us as we really are. Thank you that we don't need to turn away in shame. Your good news comes to us. Put on the beauty of the glory which comes from God because you are loved by God. Put on the robe of righteousness 
that is Jesus' gift to you. Put on your head the crown of the everlasting glory and lift up your head because Jesus takes away your shame. So thank you, Lord, that you meet us this morning where we are, as we are. You come to us in grace and in love and in mercy and in saving power. Thank you, God, for meeting us here today, right where we are. Amen. So can I invite you to stand and we'll sing together, my hope is built on nothing less. please be seated. And now, can we have our Isaiah 9 reading, please? Thank you. 
second reading is from Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living on the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. We light this candle for peace. May its light scatter the darkness. May its flame be a symbol of hope. May its burning be a sign of faith, joining with many other lights for peace. We light this candle for peace. May our lives be an expression of peacemaking. May we seek to be lights in a dark world, pointing to you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and following you in the way of peace. Let these candles burn as signs of peace offered to you. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He gives his peace to our hearts. He sends us out into the world as people of peace to carry that peace with us, to share it with others. It's not a one-off peace. It's a peace that is renewed to us each and every day. So today for you, the peace of God is new 
and it is now. It is God's gift to us in Christ. Stand and sing together, love of God revealed in wonder. Join me at the front, please, if you're saying. Thank you. So listen, here is good news. 
God loved the world. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who've been here often and you who haven't been for a long time. You who've tried to follow and you who have tried and failed. Come, because it's not me inviting you, it's the Lord. And it's his will that those who want to do so should meet him here. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he sat at supper with his disciples. And while they were eating, he took a piece of bread, said a blessing, and gave it to them with the words, This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this to remember me. And later he took a cup of wine, saying, This cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood. Drink from it, all of you, to remember me. So now, following Jesus' example and his command, we take this bread and this cup, the ordinary things of this world, which Christ has made special. And as he said a prayer before showing them, let us pray now as well. Let's pray. Lord, we are faced with a mystery that we encounter you in bread and in wine because of what these things mean to us. Thank you that when we eat and receive and eat the bread, we receive you as our Saviour. The Word become flesh. Your body broken on the cross for us. Bearing our sin. Taking our shame. Dying in our place. And thank you that as we receive and drink the wine, we celebrate the new covenant that you have sealed with your blood. That we are forgiven. That we are your people. That you've written your name and your law on our hearts. That we can know you for ourselves. Bless you, Lord, for the mystery of this meal and for its reality. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself to us and for us. We receive you and we welcome you and we honour you 
we put our trust in you as we share this bread and wine together. Amen. Body of Christ, it's given for you. Can I invite you to stay seated and uh, the deacons will serve you and we eat the bread as we receive it as a sign of our faith and trust in Christ. Disciples had eaten Jesus, shared the cup with them, we do so now. This cup is the new covenant in the blood of Christ, the covenant made between God and you. The blood of Christ was shed upon the cross. Sealing God's side of the covenant, we drink the wine as a way of saying, yes, Lord, I bind myself to you today through the gift of your Son. So we keep the cups so that we can drink together as a sign of our fellowship in Christ.
God's gift of love to the world. God's gift of love to you. Thank you, Lord, for giving your Son to us and for us. Amen. In a moment of quiet, can I invite you to lift toward God someone who is special to you, precious to you, and who needs God's grace today. And just commend them to God's love, knowing that God loves them more than you do. And ask for his grace to surround them and uphold them this morning. Lord, those we've remembered before you, be with them, protect them, be their saviour, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, those who have been made children of God, those for whom there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood?
himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free for oh my God it found out me. Tis mercy, Tis mercy all seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. Confidence that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so we come to you, the Prince of Peace, and pray for our world in its need. As we look with your eyes of compassion we commend to you those parts of our world where there is warfare and bloodshed. Where millions are hungry. Where refugees have no place to call home. The victims of natural disasters, thinking particularly this morning of those affected by the volcano in Indonesia. So many cruel and needless deaths. We've reflected today on our inhumanity to each other and to children. The violence, the heartbreak, the hopelessness. Lord, this world desperately needs your peace. Thank you for the promise 
of the new age where there will be peace, where people will be free from fear and want, where there'll be no more pain or tears. Thank you for the promise of the coming of your kingdom. But bring your peace today to your world, we pray. And bring your peace to us. Enable us in a changing and uncertain time to base our lives on you and to find your peace in our souls. Speak to us by your word and give us, we pray, a foretaste of the rest that will be ours in your glory. We cast our cares and the tumults of this life upon you, knowing that you care for us. May we know your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us here, I won't say most of us, but many of us here are old enough to remember a time before computers ruled the world. Back in the good old days, Architects and draftsmen would, would do a design and they would use transparent overlays for, for creating different phases of the design. Do you remember that? Perhaps you, perhaps you did that at, at one point. Just overlaying a basic design with, with different, different phases of a plan. Showing how the base plan could be developed. And you could match the level of correspondence between the original and later designs. Let me use that old-fashioned analogy with you to explore these opening verses of Isaiah chapter 9, because the base layer is the text itself, which describes a turnaround in Israel's fortunes. Passage opens with a focus on Galilee, but arguably the scope of the prophecy quickly expands to include the whole nation, and things aren't good. Isaiah describes a period of gloom, anguish, distress, and anxiety. The nation has been humbled, humiliated, subjected to contempt. Deprived of light, people have been able, unable to see the way ahead because death has cast a dark shadow over the land. They are enslaved, they're burdened and oppressed, they are the victims of violence and bloodshed at the hands of invading armies. And into this dire situation, the prophet brings a message of hope. A child has been born. A son has been given. The birth of a new ruler has been announced. His qualities are set out in four titles that have become so well known over the years that most major translations repeat them without variation. This child will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His reign will be characterised by wisdom. The New English translation opts for extraordinary strategist as a way of drawing out what is meant by wonderful counsellor. But this person will rule with wisdom and with power in perpetuity and in peace. If we wanted to have four characteristics of his reign, all beginning with the same letter, we could opt for perspicacity for wisdom, power, permanence and peace. And the stability of this government will not rest on a large majority of seats in the elected chamber, but it will be founded on the vital qualities of justice, righteousness and fairness. And the coming of this ruler brings light which banishes the darkness, honour which takes away shame, joy which replaces despair, 
freedom in place of oppression, and peace instead of violence. This is good news indeed. That is our base plan. That's what the text talks about. What overlays can we put on it to help us understand it? The text itself gives us one overlay. This turnaround, it says, will be like the day of Midian's defeat. Cryptic reference to Gideon's victory over the Midianites. Back in the days of the judges, when the Israelites were in a bad way, the Midianites would invade the land like a plague of locusts, overpowering Israel, stripping the land of its resources. When the Midianites came, people would flee their homes and take refuge in mountain caves. At that time, the Lord raised up Gideon to defeat them. Gideon initially raised an army, we're told, numbering 32,000 men. Even that was small compared to the Midianite forces. But he was told to send home anyone who was scared, then whittle the number down still further by choosing the men who stayed on their guard while drinking water from the river. And then Gideon was left with a force of just 300 men, which he equipped with trumpets and lights in clay jars. And surrounding the Midianite camp at night, Gideon's men sounded their trumpets, broke the clay jars so that the light shone out and shouted at the top of their voices, and the Midianites were caught by surprise, completely disorientated, ended up attacking each other in the dark, and their entire force was routed. So Isaiah's prophecy speaks into a situation where God's people are oppressed, outnumbered, hopelessly vulnerable, and promises deliverance by his hand. It's not their strength, not their power, not their resources that will turn the tables against their enemies. On the contrary, as it says in Isaiah 9-7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts would accomplish this. God will bring this about because of his intense devotion to his people. Let's put a second overlay in place now. What might this text have meant in Isaiah's own day? The reference to the distress experienced by the land of Zebulun and Naphtali is significant for this period, since they're in the northern kingdom, and it was in Isaiah's time that the northern kingdom was conquered, the population forcibly taken into exile. These are the people who walked in darkness. And the reference to a child being born, a son being given, also has relevance to this period, because in Isaiah 7 we find that well-known prophecy that a maiden is pregnant and will give birth to a son who will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that prophecy was originally given by Isaiah to King Ahaz of Judah because the northern kingdom of Israel was threatening to invade to the terror of the young and inexperienced king. And the original prophecy was that when this child was born, and while that child was still a young boy, the threat from the north would be neutralised. Between the birth of the child and the time when the child was weaned, the threat would go. So does Isaiah 9, with its declaration of a birth of a new king, celebrate one way in which this prophecy of fulfilment found some historical fulfilment in the prophet's own lifetime? Isaiah 7 foretells the birth. Isaiah 9 says, now this child has been born. Now a son has been given to us. This is the time when we will experience deliverance. People wonder whether this could be about the birth of a son and heir to King Ahaz. Hezekiah was his son, and the timing of Hezekiah's birth is a bit of a conundrum. But it would be true to say that he was one of Judah's best kings. It was during his reign that the Assyrian army swept into the land of Judah and camped outside the gates of Jerusalem, but the city was miraculously delivered. The Assyrian army was decimated overnight by an attack of the plague. 185,000 of them died. 
Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, went home and was assassinated by his sons. Parts of Isaiah's prophecy fit that context. The lifting of oppression. The burning of all the military equipment abandoned by the Assyrian army as they fled for home. God bringing peace to his people. The just and wise rule of Hezekiah. Yes, we can see a dimension of fulfilment there at that level as well. But then, of course, another overlay on this second Sunday of Advent. We read this text and we think of Jesus. The reference to David's throne in Isaiah 9-7 suggests that there is a messianic dimension to this prophecy. It looks beyond the immediate time into the future, beyond the historical context of Isaiah. So Matthew takes this passage up and applies that reference to light dawning on the, on the people of Zebulun and Naphtali. He says that's the start of Jesus' ministry. He comes bringing that light into the land of darkness as he comes calling on people to turn back to God because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the kingdom that Jesus brings that's characterised by righteousness and justice and peace. And we, of course, are inclined to see that reference to a child being born for us, a son given to us, as a reference to Jesus' birth. That moment when God entered the world miraculously as a newborn baby. And that helps us make sense of some of the titles given to this baby king, titles which seem quite inappropriate for a human ruler. Okay, we may say a newborn baby will grow up to be the Prince of Peace. He may become a wonderful counsellor because of the wisdom he has. But what kind of baby do you give the name Mighty God to? Or Everlasting Father, which again is surely a name for God himself. When a baby is given those kind of titles, you start to ask yourself, what kind of baby is this then? And for us, that question is answered when we look at Jesus. The miraculous birth of Jesus as God incarnate. The paradox of God in human form. For us, it is Jesus who is the wonderful counsellor. He is indeed the mighty God. He is indeed the Prince of Peace. We might scratch our heads about calling Jesus the Everlasting Father because we're good Trinitarians and we don't want to muddle the members of the Trinity up. But it's a divine title. And we can say, yes, this is a name of God given to Jesus, who is God born for us, God incarnate. In Jesus, God himself has come to us. So yes, we see clearly the overlay of Jesus making sense of this prophecy. And what about us? The final overlay on the base text. What did this passage have to say to us as we face the threat of everything closing down again, perhaps, in the face of a new variant strain of covid we know what it's been like to live under the shadow of death. In terms of mental health, many of us have known gloom, anguish and darkness. When we look at the state of our country, the state of the world, we may feel there is little cause for celebration. Some of us are exhausted and debilitated by the pressures of working through the past two years with no prospect of a let-up in the future. With spiralling inflation and chronic supply issues and a lack of skilled labour, we can only see things getting worse. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by this. And when, while we're not threatened by an invading enemy power, Marion reminded us last week of the knife culture which is taking lives. We've had horrific reports this, way, this week of a child being tortured to death in his parents' home. We've seen shootings in America. We see violence stalking our world. And yet despite that, this Advent, we want to say, to us a child is born. To us a son is given. 
the government will be on his shoulders. And he will reign with justice and righteousness forever. So in our present distress and pressure and anguish, we look back to the birth of Jesus and say, yes, that has happened. God has not abandoned us. And we hold on to that. This is not a God-forsaken world because Jesus was born in fulfilment of Isaiah's prophecy. And we look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the darkness of death is finally abolished forever and he brings in his reign characterised by freedom, joy, righteousness, justice and peace. And as we look back and as we look forward, how do we live now? Do we succumb to the pressures that surround us, the stresses, strains and anxieties that they cause? Do we allow the prevailing darkness to invade our hearts and minds? Or do we take our bearings from Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and ask him to rule in our hearts and minds here and now? If we do that, if we allow the Prince of Peace to set up his kingdom in our hearts, then there we find a reservoir of peace that we can draw on at all times. And if we do that, then even as we walk through dark days, we have his light shining in our hearts. And whatever may happen around us, we know we have the honour of being God's children. So in the midst of adversity, we can seek out joy. We can put him in charge of our priorities rather than being driven by other people's unreasonable expectations. Rather than just shrugging our shoulders and succumbing to despair, we look and pray for his justice and righteousness and we work for that to come. In these dark and difficult days, we ask the Prince of Peace to reign in our hearts, to govern who we are and how we live. And if we do that, then by his grace, he gives us the resources we need to keep calm and carry on. He is the wonderful counsellor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Who better to have in your corner at this time? And if you've not already asked him into your heart to bring his kingdom of peace into your life, can I invite you to do that today? because the Prince of Peace was born for you. Amen. Let's close by singing together, Look to the Skies as a Celebration.
And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.